Don't call it a comb back. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, girl? Grab my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. I appreciate you changed Raheem Mostert's name to Kareem Mostert. No, I said no. This is the Press Box. Tyler, are you still there? With Grady and Bischoff. Those two maroons (laughs) can jump on a boat and sail up Lake Mead, never to be seen again. On ESPN Las Vegas. Oh, we're going to be seen again, it's all right. ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. It's Ed, Tyler, and Jared. What a comeback last night, VGK. They're going all the way, baby. The first bite. Are the Golden Knights back? <laughs> well, they're back after those last two periods, man. That was a uh, that was something, Tyler. After the first period, when uh, everyone thought uh, they needed to stay in the locker room and stay in the room, but uh, I guess they're back to where they kind of broke the curse on the you know regulation win here and already got their split. Now, uh, now they'll go for the sweep on Saturday. They finally look like a Stanley Cup contender playing against a team that's just sort of happy to be in the playoffs, which is, at the end of the day, what this series should be. Minnesota's been a bad matchup for the Golden Knights, so that's not what this series is. But the Golden Knights are supposed to be a Stanley Cup contender, and Minnesota is not, and that's what the second and third periods looked like last night. Um, The first period was pretty bad for the Golden Knights, but after that, the Golden Knights outshot them 36 to nine after the first period, they had a 10 to five edge and high danger chances. The expected goals after the first period was 3.2 to 0.8 in favor of the golden Knights. And the actual goals was five to nothing after the first period. Like they didn't sneak one out, right? They, they didn't get, you know, beat in this game or, or blown out or anything like that. Like they blew out Minnesota. And that is like, you watch Colorado play. And St. Louis isn't as good as Minnesota, but you watch Colorado play and Colorado will blow teams out. And that's why you sit back and think, wow, Colorado, they, they're a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. They can win this thing because they look so much better than their opponents. We haven't really seen that from the Golden Knights against the Minnesota Wild the entire season. I mean, the, the game they lost six to five in Minnesota, they played really well for about 50 minutes of that game. And then the last 10 was a, a hellish nightmare for them. But then in this series, I mean, the first period of game one, the Golden Knights were good, but they didn't score. And since then, they, they looked bad for the second and third periods. And honestly, they weren't great in game two, even though they won. And then it took until the second period of game three. But that, I mean, that was a performance. The second and third period, that was a performance that makes me think they can win the series. They could beat Colorado next round and they could win the Stanley Cup. The first two, yeah. two games, I was like, they'll be lucky to get out of this round and they're losing to Colorado in like five. But the way they finish that game, it it brings you back to, oh, yeah, this team is a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. Yeah, they flipped the switch. Um, it was it was interesting last night. I thought it was, well, it was interesting and funny where Pete DeBoer, um, he was pretty serious after the post game, And, you know, you know, you don't want to get over over your skis because of one win and think it's over or anything because things can turn, as we've known. But uh, first, Riley Smith says, we could not have played any worse. And Stone was in there <laughs> saying all the problems in the first period. And then Pete DeBoer comes in and goes, you know what? I, I like how we felt after the first period. And kind of looking around <laughs> saying, I think you might have been the only one who felt like that. Uh, 
because it was not good. They did nothing in the first period. Didn't get to lose pucks. Um, were out, you know, less physical than everyone. I mean, and I know they only gave up seven shots, but it was just such a uh, kind of, in my view, a domination. Maybe that stats didn't show it. I mean, they're, you know, uh, we're going to talk about this great uh, challenge by DeBoer and the outsides, or it's three nothing. And I, you know, if it's three nothing, maybe they come back and win, but that's a huge hill to climb when you're in a place you've never won in regulation. So I thought that was enormous when they took that one off the off the board to go two zero, and they probably did go in and say, hey, no matter what DeBoer said after the game, I'm sure they went in and at least most of them thought it could not have gotten any worse, and it's only two. Three, I think, would have been a bigger kind of uh, bigger difference in their minds. But yeah, those last two periods were unbelievable, and that is a team. Now, you know, it's hard to do that every game, obviously, especially in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So we're going to see how long they can keep it together. Um, I, I actually think, and I, I, I want to see where you're on the board with this, I actually think the difference between one and two absolutely confirms and strengthens, strengthens my view that momentum means nothing. <laughs> because you sat in that room... For 15 minutes, and and what you know, it's not like between then people were continuing to play. You had to come out and kind of engage yourself, and and really, it was heck. It wasn't even until Stone, you know, eight thirty nine in or whatever that you really thought, well, are they even in this thing. Momentum. If momentum was real, any team that scored would just continue scoring. They would just the, score and again, the, and the other team would never score. Like yeah. every game, we would just every sport would be sudden death because you could just play until one team scores and then yes. momentum the takes over and you never lose. It, it, right. I mean, it would definitely make baseball more watchable. <laughs> sudden death baseball. <laughs> First team to get a run wins. <laughs> but yeah, no momentum is is not real. The Golden Knights actually no. played better, and it's not because oh we scored a goal we can actually play better now. No, it's. No. It, it's not momentum. Momentum is is not real. If Minnesota had scored one of their, I mean, the, the the reason the Golden Knights were better is because Minnesota didn't get any shots on goal the rest of the game. Like yeah. again, after the first period, Minnesota had nine shots on goal, nine of them in two periods of hockey. That's why the Golden Knights dominated that game. It's because defensively, they got so much better. It's because they weren't giving up. Like, in the first period, they gave up, like, three unbelievable chances, right? In the second and third periods, they barely even gave up three shots, let alone three good chances. So, like, it, that's why they won the game. Not because suddenly momentum took over. Right now, somewhere, Milsey is saying, shut up, you two maroons. <laughs> I, think, I assume he's saying that all the time. I assume well, that's yeah, I mean, when isn't he saying that if he, uh, you know, whenever he hears this? By the way, I do need to give a, a shout out to the sport of hockey because normally I come on here and tell you that hockey is dumb because it, of all our sports in North America, it's the sport where most often you can play really well and still lose the game. But I, lose. but I got a compliment because last night, first period, Minnesota was dominant. They were they had four more scoring chances of the Golden Knights. They were 62% expected goals. And guess what? Minnesota actually took a 2-0 lead. They got what they deserved in the first period. And then in the second period, the Golden Knights outshot Minnesota 22-5. They had 17 scoring chances in the yeah. second period. And the Golden Knights scored all three goals in the period. Like, that's what should happen in this sport. When you watch that first period, Minnesota should have a lead after that first period. And they did. And when you watch the second period, the Golden Knights should have scored all the goals in that second period. And they did. The problem is, is like, go back to game one. 
the Golden Knights were dominant in the first period of game one and walked out of there 0-0. That's why hockey right. is dumb, because you can be you can destroy your opponent for 20 minutes and it means nothing because you did not score. But last night, Minnesota was awesome in the first period, took two nothing lead. Golden Knights were awesome the rest of the game, scored all five goals. That's that's great. That's all I've been asking for in this sport is for when the team is dominating for them to actually reflect it on the scoreboard with goals. Well, now you know it's not stupid. I uh, yeah, I mean, you you you've always said it was stupid. I don't think last night, like you said, was a good example of that. Um, they deserved to win. I hate you know how much I hate the word deserve. If you just you know if you play better, you win the game. I don't like the word deserve. I hate when coaches say that, but it's huge, man. And and that's the thing. They came for a. There's no question they came for a split. They've never won in regulation here. It's not like they came and said you're going to win both. But now that they did. They can just take complete control, step on the neck, and, and that'll be it if they go up 3-1 because they're not losing twice at home, uh, I wouldn't think. So, I you know, the, and the Wild have to find themselves as well. Imagine how they're feeling after that first uh, after that first period, and they're up 2-0 in a place they've never lost these guys in regulation, and then that happens. We'll see if they can recover because it's only a one-day break, and, man, they're probably looking at each other saying, that wasn't very good, those last two periods. Can we beat these guys? And... Like I said, the Knights have a huge opportunity on Saturday, uh, you know, in my opinion, just to close it out. I know they'd have to win one more, but I just can't see the Wild winning three straight and certainly not two in Vegas. Yeah. Um, so are we uh, giving credit to Pete DeBoer for Patrick Brown and Nick Holden? Like he, they get put in the lineup for the first Neither one of those guys have played an NHL game in 40 days. And yeah. we learned last night that Patrick oh, Brown tore his hamstring like eight yeah. weeks ago. Neither one had played in 40 days. Patrick Brown's coming off an injury. They get put in the lineup. Patrick Brown scores a goal. Nick Holden has two assists. Like, are, are we giving DeBoer yeah. credit for that? Or are we just saying, well, that was weird? No, I mean, I think I'd give him credit for when he when he does things we don't think is are very good. We, we say that. So I'll give him credit. He, he made the right calls. Now those guys had to come through for him. I thought one of the best passes, uh, one, excuse me, one of the best assists ever was Nicky Holden on the indoor soccer off the boards. I mean, <laughs> it was good. That was a great assist. If you're in, you see indoor soccer, like, you know, you just get kicked off the boards and you hope someone's following in. I thought that was actually a really cool play when he did that. Now they have to finish it off. I don't know if, you know, nine times out of 10, it's probably not a goal. And, you know, they just clear the puck out, but I thought that was a great assist. So I'll give DeBoer a lot of credit. I mean, he made the right calls and those guys came through for him. And I, I was surprised afterwards about the, you know, not that we would have known about the torn hamstring. God forbid they say anything about injuries, even <laughs> to Patrick Brown. Uh, you know, come on, you know not Max Pacioretty. He's still day-to-day. Um, I'll give him credit. He made the right calls, and those guys came through for him. Yeah, it's, that to me is, is the most shocking thing about last night. It's not that the Golden Knights actually won in Minnesota or even that the Golden Knights played really well in Minnesota. It's that they got offensive production from Patrick Brown and Nick Holton. Like we've been talking about the Golden Knights offensive struggles going back to the end of the Vancouver series, the Dallas series, and then the first two games of this series, how they aren't getting goals from guys like Mark Stone and William Carlson and Riley Smith and and how the best players on this team aren't scoring for you to get goals from those guys. Like it's not something you're counting on very often, but for you to get in any point in a playoff series, for Nick Holden to have two assists and for Patrick Brown to score a goal, like that's any depth scoring is incredible. And it's insane they got both of those in the same game. Now, while Nick Holden had probably the best assist with his pass off the boards, his other assist was a shot that just got blocked by a guy's shoulder and fell in front of the crease. So the second assist 
wasn't really a great play by Holden. That was more of a, yeah, hockey's kind of dumb assist. But you're still taking two assists from Nick Holden anytime you I, can get him. I think the first one equals two. Because <laughs> that was an Is awesome play. I thought that was an awesome play. We're giving play. him two for yes. that? So, yes. We're giving him two for that and zero for the other. So he still ends up with two assists. Who got? I think Will Carrier got the secondary assist on uh, the Patrick Brown goal. So we're taking mm. it away from Will Carrier and giving them both yes. to Nick Holden. Okay. Well, I'm okay. The with only that. secondary assist I really cared about last night was Mark Andre. Oh yes, so. you got to get the assist, Ed. He's got to shoot. Yes. He tried to shoot at the end of game two with like a second yes. left on the clock. There wasn't enough time. He wouldn't. He wouldn't. He really have can't the puck do that there. because we because if he ever scores, we won't be able to. Uh, you know. Uh, we won't be able to ever go on Twitter again. So let's just leave it at a secondary assist and just leave it at that. I want him to score. It'll be phenomenal, especially <laughs> in the playoffs. It'll be great. I can't wait for it. So the Golden Knights are up 2-1 to one in this series. And now they've got a chance to uh, tomorrow to take a 3-1 lead, which would, granted, they nearly blew a 3-1 lead last year, and they did blow a 3-1 lead two years ago. But 3-1 leads yeah, I are... I don't think it would, given Minnesota's, a, you know, kind of, Inability to score a lot. I, I just could never see that. I, I They would just outscore him one of the games. I mean, we thought that about Vancouver because Vancouver was bad last year. And then Thatcher Dimko came in and said, I'm not yeah. giving up a goal for the next three years. And the Golden Knights like, okay, we don't want to score anyway. So 3-1 lead's not always great for the Golden Knights. But I I, I think a 3-1 lead is, is going to be safe this time too. But coming up next, do the Falcons really want to trade Julio Jones? Want to be part of the show? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and leave your opinion. He's such a huge part of what we do in terms of creating explosive plays and you know changing how a defense is going to defend us. So we'll get him involved for sure. I know Kyle will do a great job of, of uh, formatting things and moving him around to get him in spots to, to make some plays. And you know I expect he'll have a great game. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Greeny and Tyler Bischoff. Well, that was Matt Ryan talking about Julio Jones and how he helps the team. But the Falcons want to trade Julio Jones, according to Jeff Schultz of The Athletic. Uh, He wrote a story breaking down basically the why of the Julio Jones situation in Atlanta. Uh, The Falcons right now do not have enough cap space to sign their draft picks. Uh, They need about seven to eight million dollars to sign their draft picks. They have about half a million in cap space. So they do not have anywhere close to enough money to sign their draft picks. Uh, So they need to do something to save some money, to free up some cap space. According to this story, The Falcons are only considering like two options for creating cap space. One would be to restructure the contract of their best defensive player, Grady Jarrett, but they haven't even talked to the agent of this player about a restructure. So that seems unlikely at the moment. And the only other option they have, aside from cutting a bunch of players, the only other option they have is to trade Julio Jones because trading Julio Jones, they'd have about a $7 million cap hit, but would save 15 million against the cap, which would give them plenty of money to sign their draft picks. So it sounds like the Falcons are in a situation where they almost have to trade Julio Jones. Yeah. I mean, the cap is the biggest problem for them, but I'll tell you this. um, And I like Julio Jones, the player. I still like him. I do, but let's be honest. And we've talked about him before. 32 years old, hurt last year, worst year since like 2013. 
I mean, if you're going to move him for the most value, and I, I don't think he gets a one at this point in return, but wouldn't now be the time? I mean, if there's and the cap is obviously the biggest issue here, but if there's any thought of rebuilding, I think you have to move him now. I mean, I can't you can't go many more seasons with a 32-year-old wide receiver who has hamstring issues a lot of the time, and as good as he is, his value, whatever that's going to be going forward, is probably highest now. So I'd probably move him, you know, depending on the deals you could get back from all these teams, the Ravens, Niners, Patriots, all these teams that are supposedly interested in him. I'd look what's out there at this point. You might not want to lose him, but it might be, you know, inevitable that you will. Yeah, it's it, the Falcons are in a weird spot where I, I don't really know if they're rebuilding or not because they were not good last year. Uh, even this year, if they were to go for it on the high end, they're kind of in the same boat as the Raiders, but probably even a little bit further behind the Raiders as well. Uh, so they're not, I mean, they're not a Super Bowl contender, but they're in a bad situation quarterback wise where they have Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan is a very good quarterback, but he's not that great guy that can, you could see being a top three quarterback that leads you to a Super Bowl. Like that's not who Matt Ryan is. He's sort of in that realm of Derek Carr. But Matt Ryan has a massive contract, and they already restructured his deal uh, so that his cap hit is much less this year. But I think it means in two or maybe three years, his cap hit goes right back up to $40 million. So if he, yeah, excuse me, if, if, if the Raiders, why are, I'm looking at all these teams. Why aren't the, if the Raiders, let me ask you something, if it's not a one, and you're talking about twos and threes, whatever you'd have to give up for this guy, are you surprised they're not on this list? Well, I'm surprised the Raiders aren't on every list that somebody gets uh, put up as a trade because the Raiders normally make it onto everyone's list. Um, I, I think the big reason is salary cap space. The goal, or the Raiders don't have enough to acquire Julio Jones without getting rid of somebody else. Now they can do that. Like they can they find can they can find some other places to to cut money, but. Uh, I think it comes down to they don't have the cap space right now. So when you're looking for a trade partner, you've got to find somebody who has at least the $15 million in cap space or is close to it so they don't have to make a major move to get there. And right now the Raiders would have to make a fairly significant move to get there. Um, But Julio Jones would make a lot of sense if the Raiders are going all in this year. Like it it would make a lot of sense because you're looking at an offense where – you have one elite receiving option in Darren Waller, who's an excellent tight end. You don't know who the second best receiving option is on this team. It might be Hunter Renfro this year. Like we might be talking about Hunter yep. Renfro being their second best Kenyon guy. Kenyon Drake. That's true. Kenyon Drake's going to catch about 75 passes. But uh, like if Henry Ruggs doesn't take a step forward, we're going to be talking about how the Raiders didn't have enough receivers for Derek Carr. And if you were to trade for Julio Jones, that would not be a problem anymore as long as he stayed yeah. healthy. That wouldn't be a problem anymore. You would have Julio Jones and Darren Waller. And if Henry Ruggs doesn't really come along, okay, you'll survive. So it does make a lot of sense if the Raiders were trying to go, you know, all in on making the playoffs this year to go get a Julio Jones. Johnny's not going to be happy if he goes to the Chargers. Oh, man. Oh. The, so the teams Justin on that Herbert list. Herbert to Julio Jones on third and eight. The teams on that list, Ravens, whose name has popped up for any wide receiver ever. Uh, the 49ers, Patriots, Colts, and Chargers. Uh, oh. Yeah, the Chargers would be a, a nightmare for the Raiders if they were that to add good. Julio Jones. Like, it's already yeah. it's all, it's already a team with great skill position guys and a young quarterback who's not afraid to chuck it down the field. You put Julio Jones on that team, oh, my. I don't know. I don't know if the Raiders will hold him under 40. 
I mean, I assume he's healthy. Like I said, he's had these hamstring issues. He, he played nine games last year. I, yeah, you know, I'm. But again, I'll go back to it. He's 32. So if I'm the Falcons and there's any hint, I mean, I don't. I'm sure Matt Ryan doesn't want to hear this at his at his point in his career. But if those if that GM is now in there saying they have cap problems and they're going to rebuild. I don't think it's going to be Ryan. He would be the next guy you'd look at and say, well, we don't want to lose him, but we got to move him. Um, I don't know if they'd say that out loud because Matt Ryan would probably uh, not show up to training camp because the last <laughs> thing he wants to do at this point is rebuild. Well, so it, right now there's a lot of reasons why the Falcons should make the trade. Obviously, the salary cap problems is the biggest one, but they have Calvin Ridley, who is a really good wide receiver, and I think most people project him to be better than Julio Jones this year. Yeah. And they drafted Kyle Pitts, who's got the chance to be that yeah. Darren Waller type at tight end where he's an elite receiving option despite not playing wide receiver. And so they can have, even without Julio Jones, they can have two high-end receiving options on this team. So you can conceivably trade Julio Jones and still not lose a ton from your passing attack. But again, it goes back to... Are the Falcons rebuilding? Are the Falcons going for it? Because if you're going for it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to trade Julio Jones. Like, if you're going for it, you want Julio Jones on your team. And right now, you'd be trading him basically at a loss. You wouldn't be getting max value because you're trading him when everybody knows you don't have leverage. But if you're rebuilding, it makes a ton of sense. It's just, it's kind of like the Raiders. When I when I talk about where they are as an organization, like, should they be rebuilding or should they be going for it? Because neither team is a true Super Bowl contender, but both teams are good enough that, yeah, you could make the playoffs. So it all comes down to, like, what are you doing as an organization? What is your goal as an organization? That's what determines if you trade a player like Julio Jones or you keep him and try to make it work some way else. I think they're more, uh, you know, beyond what Matty Ice wants in a rebuilding mode. And I think taking pits kind of starts that rebuilding mode. I mean, if he's as good as everyone says he's going to be and you know, be, I mean, people that my gosh, talk about Tr Trevor Lawrence and their predictions. I think Pitts, you'll agree, was the next best, next guy in terms of these predictions and how great he's going to be at his position. So I think it's probably the latter in terms of their rebuilding. But it might, you know, and here's the thing it might just be about the cap. He might have just come in there, looked at the numbers, and said, all right, th this is a total cap issue. Um, I don't think you're going to move the quarterback. So who's next? It could be that simple. And if that's the case, like you said, you pointed out the Chargers cap issues, teams have ca cap issues. And you have to meet the cap. So he might be looking around, and that's the only choice he has. I, I'll be interested, though. I don't think it's a one because he's 32 and he's been hurt. Yeah. I'd be interested to see what the, what the take back is on him. Um, but the other point you made, if you think you're really, really close, you'll probably overpay for him. Yeah, it's the the key is going to be how many teams are actually interested. Like if if they can, if the if the Falcons do in fact try to trade him, and they can get the Ravens and the Chargers and the Patriots to all be interested and in all essentially bidding on him, then yeah, you can get quite a bit, and one of those teams probably ends up overpaying. If it's just like, hey, only the Ravens are seriously interested, then it might end up being a fairly well, cheap trade for the Ravens. But that'll probably be the key for the Falcons is how many guys can they get legitimately interested. Let me ask you this real quick. If it's only two teams and Johnny hears it's Baltimore, will they give up four number twos? <laughs> and then two weeks later, will Peter King tell us the Ravens never even wanted him? The Ravens Jones. never wanted him. <laughs> they, were, they had a third-round grade on him. They were giving up a third-round yeah, third third grade. Third grade on Julio. And the Raiders gave up their first-round pick for him. Yeah, <laughs> probably. That's probably what happens here. All right, coming up next, Brad Spielberger joins the show from Pro Football Focus. Our stats hogwash. Are you tired of hearing Tyler do math on the radio? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. 
We're back to the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff, live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Brad Spielberger. Um, Brad, how are you this morning? Hey, Brad. Doing great. How about yourself? Good. Hey, how's it going? Um, can, you, can you give us uh, the best explanation you have as to what the Falcons' options actually are for getting under the salary cap to sign their draft picks this year? Yeah, it's pretty crazy how, how dire their situation is. Um, you know, frankly, they have two guys left that can clear ca significant cap room. Um, they need about $7 million to fit all of their 2021 class on the 2021 cap. Uh, and the only guys that really provide significant relief uh, are Julio Jones, and that's why he's being discussed, and then Grady Jarrett, the defensive tackle. So I think they need to extend Jarrett um, to clear some room, to get, under, you know, get above water, and then go from there. So you, if you were doing it, you would just you would restructure Garrett or do something like that instead of trading Julio Jones. I would I would extend him now. Um, you know I think we saw this off season. You know like Leonard Williams got a phenomenal contract, basically got Aaron Donald money. Um, you know Aaron Donald heading into the final year of his deal. Um, you know there, there's only going to be more kind of big contracts for those interior defensive linemen. Um, we've seen a lot of them get drafted in the top ten. A lot of really good young players at the position. Not only them, I would, for, you know, not even restructure. I would just extend Grady Jarrett now. He's the, you know, he's the foundation of that defense. He's a really, really good player, um, and his value is only going to go up. Is the value we were talking about before you came on in Julio? Uh, obviously, the cap is really hurting them. Thirty-two years old, hurt last year. W would you move him now for all those reasons that you're, the value on him is probably not going to get higher at this point in his career? Yeah, I agree with you 100%. You know, I think the value is only trending downward at this point. Um, I think you probably get a second-round pick as the top pick in a package and then, you know, some more on top of that. I don't think he gets a first-round pick at this point um, just because of the age and the contract situation. But like you said, I mean, I, I mean the team isn't really competitive. Um, he's 32. You know, he is still Julio Jones. Um, but, you know, if you know you're not going to compete, you can clear – you know, if you wait until after June 1st, which is a whole kind of cap thing, but you can clear $15 million off your cap, and that just gives you a lot of flexibility to kind of just hit the reset button. When you look at the Falcons, um, and, and like when we compare quarterbacks and their value versus the salary cap, like are the Falcons in one of the worst spots in the league, not because Matt Ryan is bad, but because of how much money is still owed to Matt Ryan? You know, the, the restructure for him this offseason is one of those situations where it was a necessity and probably not something they actually wanted to do. So, you know, they, they went ahead and restructured his deal and pushed more money down the line, which has either happened three or four times already since he signed that, you know, $30 million per year deal back in 2017-2018, which is now a fine value, but the issue now is the cap space because they kept having to, in order to fit everybody under the cap, they would drop his salary down to the minimum and push a bunch of bonus money out. And so they did it again this offseason. And, you know, if they were to cut Matt Ryan, which they're obviously not going to do, they would have $65 million in dead money. <laughs> Even next year, if they were to cut him, it's $40 million. So he's, he's now movable for basically two years. Uh, I want to ask you something about a, uh, another quarterback that everyone's talking about in terms of Aaron Rodgers after, after June 1. Uh, whether it's the Broncos, the Raiders, I assume the Raiders would have to throw in Carr. Of the teams that have been discussed in Aaron Rodgers' world, is there one that would make it an easier transition for what he'd be owed and what the caps are on all these teams, whether it's the Broncos or the Raiders or someone else? 
Yeah, you know, I think the, the, the Broncos do really stick out. They have a ton of young players on rookie contracts, um, you know, at important and expensive positions. You know, obviously their receiver core is Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. You know, they have no offense at tight end. Uh, obviously they just got, you know, a bunch of cap relief by cutting right tackle Juwan James. And then even on the defensive side of the ball, you know, Bradley Chubb is going to look for, uh, you know, maybe $20 million per year deal, but he's not there yet. Um, you know, Von Miller, probably the last year for him in Denver. So they have a good cap flexibility. They have a lot of rookie contract players. And frankly, they have a lot of assets that I think Green Bay would actually be interested in getting back in return. Wait, you mean they wouldn't be interested in getting Jonathan Abram back in return? <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe so. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, on the idea of, of quarterbacks, Pro Football Focus, you guys put out your uh, ranking of all 32 starting quarterbacks before the season. And I'm curious... Where's the line for you of, oh, these quarterbacks and above, like you could see them being, you know, that top three quarterback that can carry a team to a Super Bowl versus the line of that guy's good, but you have to have a great supporting cast for him to have any chance. Yeah, yeah. So, so Bruce Gradkowski put those out. So former NFL quarterback in his own right, um, you know, was the guy who did our quarterback ranking. So um, obviously going to defer to his expertise, but I think for me, that line of guys that I think could truly carry a team, carry a roster to, you know, potentially a Super Bowl, I kind of think Dak Prescott's kind of the cutoff. Um, kind of that top six to eight range is where I think, you know, this guy could potentially, in spite of a couple issues, you know, not like last year where you lose both starting tackles and you have one of the worst defenses like in NFL history. Not that bad, but I think he's a guy that could kind of gloss over some holes. And then the next tier of guys where if everyone stays healthy, if everything goes right, it's kind of like your Kirk Cousins of the world in Minnesota. You know, we saw him go into New Orleans and win a playoff game, but they had a, you know, a healthier offensive line. They had Diggs and Thielen, you know, operating at max efficiency, um, and their defense was really stout that year. So we saw last year when his defense was poor, I mean, the Vikings were a bad football team. So it's kind of that next group of kind of six to eight guys. I do think Derek Carr fits in there where if the surrounding circumstances are good, he's not going to, you know, fumble the bag. He's not going to ruin it. Um, you know, kind of Garoppolo kind of made a Super Bowl in that same vein. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of that first 6-8 to eight and then kind of that next 6-8 to eight where if everything is perfect, then maybe they could carry a team. They, um, you know, there, talks around Vegas, obviously, is, you know, obviously if Rodgers is involved, they'd have to probably move Carr or give him back, which I don't think there would be an issue with them. But the other big thing around Vegas is, and the whispers are, why haven't they extended Carr yet? Uh, they believe him a value at, I think it's 20, what he makes. On an extension right now, if they said, you know what, we're not getting Derek Carr, let's extend him, where would he fall salary-wise, do you think, in this league? You know, it's interesting you mentioned that, because I, I honestly, when I you know follow Raiders media and stuff, I, I think there should be more conversation of how interesting it is that he has not been extended so far. Um, yeah, so, you know, he has about $20, $21, 2000000 million left on this year, but not a penny of that is guaranteed at this point. Obviously, the Raiders don't you know guarantee money like other clubs do, but still, if you're a quarterback and a, and a good one coming off of, you know, frankly, two good seasons, um, you're probably, you know, pushing the issue a bit. So, anyways, for his value at this point, um, you know, I think he's looking at like a Russell Wilson $35 million per year type of deal. And I'm not saying wow. he is Russell Wilson, but Wilson signed that deal in 2018. We've now had, of course, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes. You know, I think we're going to get, you know, maybe a Baker Mayfield, maybe a Josh Allen, maybe a Lamar Jackson coming up soon. So, I think he's kind of right in that second tier of, you know, mid-30s, and, and frankly, I think that's, that's what his value is. So if you were the Raiders, do you think it would be smart to give him that extension or next offseason 
move on from Derek Carr and try to trade up or something and get a quarterback in the draft so you don't have to pay a guy who's in that second tier of everything has to be right to win $30 million. Yeah, so that's my strong belief kind of in an overall roster construction sense. I think, And I do think the NFL is kind of starting to realize this, but I would never pay that group of guys. I mean, I get why there's pressure. I get how hard it is to, if you have a quarterback that is competent, that, can, that doesn't lose you football games. You know, if you're a head coach, I understand why you, you know, you kind of buy into that high floor. It'll probably keep your job. Obviously, it's not really a concern for Gruden. But anyways, yeah, I would not. I would let his contract run out. If he has another incredible year and wins me over and convinces me, all right, this guy is now one of those guys we mentioned where he can kind of elevate the players around him, then maybe I'll explore it. But in my mind, he's not one of those guys right now. And I, like you said, I would just go to the draft. I would maybe, maybe trade up. They, they reportedly considered it this year even. Um, yeah, and just try to start fresh. You know what I mean? They, they cut the entire offensive line this offseason anyways. The defense is still not going to be good. Like, you know, you pay that guy if you think you're close. Like Minnesota paying Kirk Cousins, you know, I put those guys in the same group. When they paid him, they had a top defense. They had some good weapons. So, you know, if, if you're in that position, yes, where the Raiders are, I, I would not. Do you still think, and as time goes on, uh, and we know what's happened in the draft uh, in terms of values of running backs and all their cap hits, I mean, the Jacksonville, I think, actually didn't want to take it, but they, they felt forced there in the last second to take him. On where the value of running backs continue to decrease, and do you think that will continue on? I do. I do. And I think we saw a market correction this offseason. Um, you know, it wasn't a super talented group of guys, but still, for, for Aaron Jones to frankly be like the only, you know, true premier running back on the market, uh, and there's a handful of teams that, that really could have used a good running back. Um, for him to not even go to free agency, to agree to stay in Green Bay, and if you look, if you break that contract down, it's a two-year, $20 million deal. There is a 0% chance he plays on the third year of that contract. And so that's a massive market correction where, you know, two years ago, someone, you know, maybe a Miami or someone who needed a running back would have stepped up and given him, you know, four years, $50 million with, you know, 25, 30 of that guaranteed, and obviously that did not materialize. So... I think the correction we're more seeing is in the marketplace and on the second contract. I still do think teams are kind of going to fall into the trap of drafting these guys in the first round. Um, yeah, and I, and I think Jacksonville, I, I'm not sure I've ever seen a coach admit like, like Urban Meyer did that basically we wanted Kadarius Tony, and then we kind of just, you know, we, we kind of, all right, we'll take, e, we'll take ETN now that we lost on, out on Tony. If we ignore that they took him in the first round and they took him because they lost out on who they really wanted, what do you think of them saying, hey, go take all your snaps at wide receiver during minicamp? Yeah, I think it's a lot of smoke and mirrors. I mean, I think they are kind of trying to say, hey, look, we're going to justify it by saying this guy is more of a receiving back and more of a, you know, play in the slot a little bit, maybe a little bit out wide. And that is where the value comes in for running back. Um, you know, obviously, like a Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara, like those guys truly stress out defenses because – if you ship them out of the backfield and put them in the slot or put them out wide, you have to account for that guy as a defense. You know, like you have to actually put a, a DB on that player and they can run routes and they can catch the ball in space and, and, and make guys miss. So I do respect it and I appreciate that line of thinking, but there were a lot of very good wide receivers still available. I mean, Elijah Moore <laughs> is an actual fly receiver and they could have just gone ahead and taken him. Uh, last one for you, Brad. One day will we be talking about Tim Tebow getting the fake four-year, $140 million deal that Taysom Hill got? 
Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> I hope so. Just for, just for the Twitter calamity, I hope so. Well, he is Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus. Brad, we appreciate your time this morning. Thanks, Brad. Yeah, thank you, guys. All right. Coming up next, we'll get into Tim Tebow because, oh, we got prop bets on if Tim Tebow is actually going to have any yards this year. Do you want to schedule a parent-teacher conference after hearing Grainy's grades? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and let us know who deserves a higher grade. It's the Press Box with Grainy and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Las Vegas. Oh, Tim Tebow. Prop bets. Points bet, whatever that is. I think it's slightly better than you pick trade. Uh, but they are, uh, they have props out for Tim Tebow and his stats this season. So the first one is an over under on Tim Tebow receiving yards, and it's at 12 and a half. And they also have an over under on receiving touchdowns at 0.5, where the under is minus 500. So the over is plus 350 on Tebow to catch one touchdown pass this year. Uh, Ed, please tell me why someone shouldn't bet the overs on both of these. No reason I would pound the overs because if this, if Urban Meyer brought him in, and he's obviously going to be at camp and OTAs and on the 90 or whatever, he's going to do everything he can to put him in the field. And if he puts him in the field just to justify his own decision, because he's going to get and has been already ripped for it, he will throw to this guy every down. In fact, Trevor Lawrence is going to say, are we still throwing to Tebow? Because uh, I've thrown to him 40 straight now. There's no way if he makes the team, he's not going over on. Well, he's obviously going over on the yards. I mean, unless he never plays. Um, even Jason so Witten had I, over 12 I would and go over yards. for sure. I, huh? I said even Jason Witten had 12 and a half yards last Well, I mean, I'd, I'd go over for sure. If he makes, and I think, i got to be honest, I, it's Urban Meyer. He has a better chance than not to make the team. Right. That he catches it. He's getting two yards. Like <laughs> yeah. he's gonna if he falls forward, he gets two yards. And yeah. that's like that to me is the key. Does he make the team? Because I firmly believe if Tim Tebow makes the team, they are at the very least putting him in the game on the goal line. Sure. At the very least. Now these are receiving yards only, so maybe you get screwed because they snap it to him directly and he runs it in or something like that. But I like if he makes the team, I cannot imagine Tebow's on the active roster for 16 weeks and they never throw to him. I cannot imagine it. And 12 and a half yards is like two catches, May, like weeks. maybe well. one catch. And so or, I like or six, depending on Jared's well, yes. numbers, he could get six catches that's, for two and the Jason Witt adjustment. So, but yeah. that's like, I, if he makes the team, I cannot imagine he's not somehow involved in the offense. Even if it's just a goal line package, even if it's just a, you know, five snaps, a game package, I can't imagine urban Meyer putting him on the team and not using him on offense somehow. Well, no, because one, he loves him, but two, if he's on the team, like I said, Urban will have to justify it. You can't justify it by never playing him. So he, you're right. If he if he makes it, now, I don't know if he'll be the starter, but he's going to be in packages for sure. Or why is he on the team? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, say what you want about Big Wit, but he, you know, he was on the field at some point. You can't just have a guy taking up a spot and never be on the field. So yeah, he, I mean, I look, I don't bet this, but I would if I did, I bet the over on both because I I cannot believe. He's not going to make this team with Urban Meyer as the coach. Now, again, 
maybe we don't know. Maybe Urban's doing the guy a favor because they're so close, and Urban kind of knows in the back of his head it's probably not going to work at his age playing tight end. But I'm telling you, that's a weird relationship going back to college, and they they really are close to each other. So I I'm not going to be surprised at anything when it comes to Urban Meyer and Tim Tebow. Poor Travis Etienne is just going to be running routes out there and just being like, I, I don't really know what I'm doing. They're always throwing it to the big, the big guy over there. I, I don't know. It's can, go- can you see Etienne, Etienne telling Trevor Lawrence, will you tell him we were okay in college? Can the guy give me the ball at one point? It's going to be fascinating because the Jaguars, the Jaguars actually have a chance to have really good skill position guys this year. Like James Robinson was good as an undrafted rookie last year. Travis Etienne, they took him in the first round, but whatever. He should still be a good running back or wide receiver. Joker. But then, but then DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault, and Marvin Jones are their top three wide receivers. Like they should have good skill position guys this year. And like any time they throw to Tebow is going to be a mistake because he's probably worse than all five of those. He's probably not even half as good as any of those five, but I what? know they're going to force it to him. What if you're like a pretty good young tight end on a small deal, but you've got some talent and they're going to keep three and you really thought you had a chance to make it and you show up and you see this old Tim Tebow, you're like, I don't have a chance. If like, how depressed would you be if that guy, if Tebow rolls in? If you're a tight end trying to make oh. a roster, do not go to Jacksonville. Well, like, do not go to Jacksonville if Tim Tebow's in the field. <laughs> don't go. You're not making it. Even if you're 10 times better no. than Tim Tebow, you're not going. So who has more receiving touchdowns this year? Raiders backup tight end Foster Moreau or Tim Tebow? Oh, it's a great question. Oh, I I'm gonna say Moreau. I just, I mean, I mean it's crazy because it's Tebow. Like you said, they're you know, oh my God, we're in the red zone. Timmy, get in there. He'll say Timmy. He says Timmy a lot instead of Tim. Timmy, love Timmy. Um, I'll still say Moreau. As good as Waller is, you know, it's you don't want him to get hurt, but things happen. So in the back of mind, if he's the number two tight end. You think he's going to get more looks than Tim Tebow? I'll say Moreau, and yet, if it's Tim Tebow at the end of the season, neither of us will be very shocked. Well, the key to it being Foster Moreau is that Foster Moreau is actually good. Like that's the important <laughs> thing here is that Foster Moreau is good at this sport. What just happened? Yeah, what'd you what'd you drop this time, Ed? The iPhone. It's <laughs> not good. Those are expensive. I was, I was trying. I was trying to move it on the desk, and it dropped here at the courtyard in beautiful uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. <laughs> The courtyard. Did you get Jimmy John's yesterday or were you too busy? No, I told you yesterday. Oh, no, no, no. That was the first day. Yeah, no, I did the not. First I did not. Oh, no, man. I did not. I Brutal. Did not. You going back today? It all depends on Peter DeBoer. You know, they canceled practice, so we're waiting for their eligibility, and it's all going to depend on what he says and his players say. Well, what? If they say something too interesting, you're going to have to write? You can't eat? Well, I got to write no matter what, so I just don't know how long it's going to take. There, there is no Uber Eats. There is Uber Eats. I like the implication that you're either going to be working so long that you can't eat dinner. Like, <laughs> like are you not going to eat if you have to write no. too long? No, I mean, Uber Eats, it's, you know, you're on the fifth floor. You got to walk all the way down to the lobby and the guy's got to pull up in the car. I don't want to do stuff like that. It's, it's, it's too much of a bother. I got my bottles of water here. I'll, I'll forge through with the Tiger Milk Bars I brought from home.